Good morning. Merry Christmas Eve. Happy fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, please stand as we sing our welcoming song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. being here and making this part of your Christmas weekend, Christmas Eve weekend. If you have a bulletin on you, you can look ahead or look on the back for some announcements. Um, tomorrow is the Christmas Day service in the morning at 1045 as well. There will be a shared meal after the main course is provided, so just bring a salad or dessert to share. Um, and then looking ahead to the new year, which seems far away but is is just around the corner. Um, January 10th, the prayer meeting will be at the church. Um, the 11th is the first moms and tots of the new year. And then January 20th will be a baby shower for me, which is exciting. So it's a Saturday afternoon. And does anyone else have announcements this morning? Okay. Okay, this just got planned this morning. So mark your calendars, January 21st. There's gonna be a potluck here at the church and we're going to have a bridal shower for Calvin and Sarah. Yes, congratulations to both of you. All right, now I'll ask the candle lighters and readers to come to the front. I was asked to read this message this morning, and it is the fourth Sunday that we light the fourth candle. Every year for 
the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we celebrate the season of Advent, a time where we look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in the manger as well as when he will one day come again. This year, during the Advent season, we focus on four feelings, four truths that we experience as we wait for the arrival of the Lord. In this final week of Advent, our attention is love. From John, 1 John 4:18, we read, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So now we light the candles, the first candle of hope that we lit three weeks ago to remember that our hope is well placed in our God. The second candle is of peace that we lit two weeks ago, remembering the peace he will bring. The third is the candle of joy that we lit last week. The fourth candle, the candle of love. As we watch it burn, we use, uh, let us remind, be reminded of the hope, joy, peace, joy, and love to be found in our soon arriving Lord. Let's pray together. God, we have learned to love from being loved by you. And so today, let us enact that love. Let us live that love. We know that what the world needs now is more love. We need to remember how much you love each one of us, and we must share that love with, each, with others. Amen. Let's sing, O Come All Ye Faithful. for the next two songs.
and let's sing Wonderful Merciful Savior together. This song kind of goes through the whole story of, you know, the good news of Jesus coming and our need for him. So let's sing together. scripture reading today is found in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or your phones on you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Morning. Thanks for roughing the ice on Christmas Eve. All right. If you have your bulletins on you, there are some items that we uh, want to pray for. Uh, you'll see the items on there. I just wanted to elaborate a little bit for uh, Fatima's upcoming surgery. Uh, the tumor that they are looking to remove is in such a place that it could 
uh, damage her ability to have children. And that is something that the both of them want very, very, very much. And so this is sitting with them particularly hard. And so uh, we want to make sure to uh, pray for uh, her, pray for the family, that the tumor can be removed and it is uh, completely dealt with. It won't be a threat uh, to her life and it'll uh, be figured out as well. And so with that said, let's go into a time of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this Christmas Eve looking forward to tomorrow, looking forward to when you came, a human being the same as us, yet still God, so we could see you clearly. And Lord, we pray with everything that we are that just how amazing that is, that it does not ever leave us. God, that the love that we can see for you, for your creation, for us, in that moment that it never leaves us. We thank you with all that we are. And God, now we pray that as we celebrate with our families that this is impressed upon us as well. That this is the reason that we are getting together. We pray that in all the good memories that come, that will be exactly what comes front and center. That through it all, we will remember you. God, we pray for the families that are traveling to get together. God, we pray for safety in those travels. We pray that soon they will be together, smiling as they haven't in a long time. God, we pray for those who have already gotten together. Lord, we pray a blessing on their gatherings. But God, also we know that this time of year can be a very difficult one for many people. It can be the time of year that reminds us of who isn't there or what we don't have. And it breaks our hearts as well. God, we pray, speak in us the names of those who are going through this hard time. God, we pray open our eyes to who they may be and help us to share a little bit of love with them just now, a little bit of comfort with them just now, a little bit of you with them just now as you are with us. Help us to show that you are with them too. God, we pray particularly for the Buchert and the Neufeld families following the passing of Agnes and the passing of Anne. And this close to Christmas, God, there are not words. And so we pray, be with them. We pray, give them the strength that they need. We pray, give them the comfort that they need. God, we pray, let your love be evident. Let it be overflowing as it always is. Help them to know like never before how loved they are and how they are in our minds, in our hearts right now. And God, as we pray for those that are having a difficult time during this season, we also want to pray for Fatima. God, this news, it, it hits us hard. And so, God, we pray for healing for her. We pray for guidance for the surgeons and the doctors as they try to figure out what this tumor is and how to best remove it so that there is no further damage. And, God, we know that this is sitting on them particularly heavy right now, for all of the reasons around fertility and that is a particular kind of pain. And so God, we just pray, be with them. 
God, we pray, heal. We pray, let yourself be known and be the strength that they need just now so that they will see you clear as day. Also be with all of those that are supporting them during the season, Dan and Sandra, Shahadi and Misa, God, we pray, be with them as they walk this road together. And also, one more, we pray be with Tyler Giesbrecht. The news of the delay is hard. God, we pray that those numbers will come down with further treatment and that the transplant can happen not terribly long from now. God, we pray be with them during this season. The entire Giesbrecht family. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for coming all of those years ago. We thank you for when you will come again to set things to right. Lord, as we go into Christmas, we just pray, let your love abound. In your name we pray, amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, as you heard read before. It is the Sunday where we talk about love. And perhaps there's no better passage to talk about love than one that sadly breaks with the tradition we've been going through so far when we've been looking to the, to the Old Testament. But it, it fits a bit too well. And that is Luke 1, 46 to 55. You have your Bibles on you, Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's called the Magnificate, or probably, as your Bibles say, Mary's Song. It is a song about joy in the Lord who remembers. It is a song about the love of our God who stays with his people. Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's a passage that I have a bit of an emotional attachment through that, don't worry, I'm not going to tear up or anything, I don't think, but you'll see why. And so we begin. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Who do you think is the servant of God Mary's talking about there? There's two possibilities. When we read it, we usually think that she's talking about herself. After all, immediately after that, she talks about how uh, from now all generations will call me blessed. But if we pay attention to how she words it, there's ambiguity there about who she could be talking about. And if we pay attention to what's been happening so far in Luke chapter 1, there, there is another candidate as well. When Mary first appears in the story of Luke, it's when the birth of Jesus is foretold to her. Uh, an angel comes and gives her this huge news that you will be with child, even though you are a virgin, and uh, the child will be the son of God. And Mary, she responds to that incredibly well, far better than I suspect many of us would, because she's just, may it be as you have said. And then the, and then the angel leaves her. The angel also tells her, go and see Elizabeth, see your, we always call her a cousin, it's just a relation of some sort, but God has already been at work through her, you'll, you'll know that we're telling the truth if you go and see Elizabeth. How do you think Mary does with that news? I think in our minds we think that Mary just is stoic about it, she's like, 
so great in her faith as probably a 13-year-old that she is just fine. But there are some reasons that we shouldn't be thinking that, and it boils down to what happens immediately after this. She goes and sees Elizabeth, but at no point does it say that she brings anybody along with her. It just, she gets up and she goes to see Elizabeth. Where Mary lives and where Elizabeth lives are quite a distance apart. They are through some very hilly country. And this is a period of time where hilly country means that if you go traveling on it on your own, uh, the chances of you getting robbed or worse are pretty high. And so that she just takes off to go see her cousin, doesn't bring anyone with her, that doesn't actually point to she is in the best of places mentally with this news. And, I mean, can you blame her? Imagine the angel of the Lord comes before you right now and says that you are with child. I mean, for myself, I guess that would be even more terrifying news. But I, who could deal with that? No one. No one could deal with that with a straight face. This girl is, her mind is a maelstrom because how could it not be? And then she gets to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is with child. There are two things we know about Elizabeth so far. One is she is married to Zechariah, who shows up right in the beginning. And the second is, is that the two of them have been have, trying to have children forever, and that just wasn't working for them. I can tell you a little bit about what that is like. It is a, it is a kind of pain unlike anything else. It is a kind of pain where, first, your older siblings have their kids, then the ones the same age, and then the younger. It's the kind of pain where your friends do, and then those that you don't want to think it, but you wonder, should they be having kids at all? Then they do, and you are left feeling alone and broken. And that's me saying that about now. Back in the time of Elizabeth, where that was just what you did, that was your future, that was your safety net, that was your value. As wrong as that might be, it was how it was. Going through that was a whole different thing. And then Mary sees her family member, her cousin, her whatever they are, and she is with child. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. It's ambiguous how that's worded, because it's very much so can be talking about either of them. God remembered his humble servant, his servant who is in a humble state. Goes on, from now on all, oh, there you go. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty.
The story of the chosen people is a story of dealing with infertility. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, half dozen others. These are all people that have known that exact same pain that Elizabeth is dealing with in this passage. When we think of the story of the chosen people, the story of the Old Testament, the story that we are a part of, even now, we think of the story of God and his strong arm and his mighty deeds. We think of the story of how he has brought down those from their thrones and how he has sent the rich away empty. We think of the story of the strength of our God and so should we. It's a part of it. It's an amazing part of it. It is the story of how our God has told us he will be with us for all time and has been. But we often forget the other side of that equation. How he has lifted up the humble. How he has remembered those who feel they are not remembered by anyone. The matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all three of them dealt with infertility. And if God didn't remember them, we wouldn't have the chosen people we wouldn't be here. We get so distracted by the strength of our God that we forget about those who are the nobodies in the story, those who feel that they are forgotten, those who feel that there is nothing for them. But it's them. They're the ones that are the linchpins of the whole thing. They're the ones that if God didn't remember them, this whole big book would be 20 pages long and lost to time. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. That's how the song ends. Mary cries for joy, a child with her, the Son of God. When we look at that baby in a manger all those years ago, It would do us some well to remember that the story of the chosen people, the story of our Bibles, is a story of God remembering those who feel forgotten. Because there are many stories throughout the world from many pantheons of many gods of the strong doing strong things. But there are not nearly so many stories of a God that would remember those who are forgotten. And when we look at Jesus in that manger, it's those stories of God remembering those who feel they have nothing, that feel that there is nothing for them, that the world is meant for someone else. It's God remembering them that makes sense of why Jesus Christ was born in the first place. Why God would choose to come and be among us in the first place. 
Because you don't do things like that unless you really love them. When we see Christ in that manger, that is the God who comforted those who needed comfort first and foremost. That is the God who loves that much. That is our Lord. Over the last few weeks, we have gone through the season of Advent, talked about hope, We've talked about peace. We've talked about joy. And now we talk about love. And as we've gone through the season of Advent, as we've looked at each of these things, we've seen that unrolling story, right? How God has made promises and God has been with his people from the beginning of our Bibles, and then we see it come to startling life in Jesus Christ, and now we find ourselves living in the reality of that, living knowing that we can have hope for what comes tomorrow because God has done this for us and will come again. We can have Knowledge that peace will come to a war-torn world because God has brought peace before. And so we know that as we work to bring peace to our neighbors and to the world around us, there will ultimately be victory in that because God will come again. As we sometimes really don't like feeling it, joy such joy can be found because our God has stuck with his people through thick and thin and up and down and came to be born among us. And so we know that there is such joy in our own lives that we can spread to the world, the world that right now suffers from a pretty big lack of hope most days, a pretty big feeling that there is no point in peace most days, and a pretty big feeling of what is there to be joyful in most days. And today we talk about probably the most important of all of the four things, not probably, 100% the most important of the four things, we talk about love. Because we live in a world that doesn't know what to do with love. More often than not, when we think about what love is, how do we think about it, right? How do we know that we are worth being loved by somebody, right? Well, surely somebody could love me. After all, I can cook well. After all, I bring in six figures. After all, I can do this, that, and the other thing. I have a wonderful baritone. Whatever the case is, that's how we think about, are we worthy to be loved? We think about it in our utility. We think about it in just what do we bring to the table? And that's terrible. It's terrible because whether you are disabled in some way now or not, the years will go by. You will not be able to do the same things you could when you were 20. And if you define what it means to be loved off of what you bring to the table, what then? What then, right? We define value by what we do. We define love and whether or not we should be loved off of what we do. And we do this because it's effective. 
We live in a world where it's the effective thing to do. It gets us ahead in our jobs, gets us ahead for the most part in our relationships. Whether or not it ends in a massive existential crisis, inevitably, well, yeah, that's down the road's problem. But down the road comes for all of us. When we look at God, when we look at Jesus, when we look at that baby in a manger, when we look at our Lord who remembered Elizabeth, who remembered Sarah, who remembered Rachel and Rebecca and Samson's mom, she's just listed as Samson's mom, and Samuel's mom, When we look at our Lord who remembers those that feel forgotten, that remembers those that lived in a time where they felt that what do they have to bring to the table, as terrible as that is, and doesn't just stand with them, but makes them the linchpin of salvation of that story of our scripture we see that why are we loved because God loves us why do we have value because God innately values us In a world that right now is dealing with those questions over what love is, and it underpins everything. If you do not love, then why would you have hope for everything? You're marching towards an end. If you do not have love, then what is peace? If you do not have love, then why have joy? When you are looking at a world that doesn't know what it means to love, then the Lord that we see in that manger that came to us because of love, the Lord that came to his servants that needed to know that they were loved, our Lord that didn't just do the amazing things with his arm and didn't just lower the high and but rose up the humble, fed the hungry, and remembered those who needed to be remembered. When we remember that our God is that God, then we know the love that we need to bring out to our neighbors in the world. We know what we need to tell them, particularly now at Christmas, that God was born and he loves you. And to that end, I have a present for you. Actually, presence. One second, I'll be right back. I got an okay from Shannon to give these out. You've seen her handiwork all around. And I think by the time she ran out of pages uh, to fold the stars, she made well over a hundred of these things. And so, We've been talking over the last month, over the last four weeks of Advent, about while the world waits in desperate need of hope and of peace and of joy and of love, we know these things. We know these things because we know our Lord And so, 
while the world waits. Map. We have been called to share the good news of who our God is, to bring those around us to him. That star over the manger all of those years ago, showing that this is where our Lord, who will change everything, is. And so, before you go, I want you each to take one. I want you to plop it down somewhere in your house on your Christmas tree. You can go away for a year, that's all right. But when you look at it, and I suspect you will, there is exquisite detail on these things. When you look at it, I want you to remember who it is that we saw in that manger all of those years ago. I want you to remember all of the wonderful things that he shows us about what love is, about what hope is, peace is, joy is. And I want you to remember just how much the world needs exactly that. Merry Christmas. Please stand as we sing Away in a Manger. And we'll repeat verse 3 after the benediction. For our benediction, we look at the book of Philemon. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Go now and serve our wonderful God. Mm -hmm.